Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello and welcome to Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dusty. Trail Mix is the short format episodes of our show, though they are often just as long sometimes as our long format episodes, which focus on one hiking trail in one national park, one park at a time. Trail Mix allows us to dive deeper into a specific area connected to the national parks. Today's trail mix is called Land Back, and it's about returning land to indigenous people. In case you may be in the dark about this, because unfortunately it is quite possible due to the narrative taught in American schools, let's all get up to speed. The narrative that was taught in history classes when our generation was in elementary school in the 90s and long before... That's 1890s. (laughs) (laughs) And most often still taught today. Starting even somewhere around the second grade is that... The land currently known as America was, quote, discovered, end quote, by white European explorers looking for a shorter trip around the world. And that upon discovering this vast open land, they created colonies and expanded their countries, making history and being celebrated at every turn. And while there were some indigenous people here on this land, they made peace with them and worked together and even had a meal together that represented that peace that we still celebrate today every Thanksgiving. And that it was even their God-given right to continue expanding these territories all the way west to the Pacific Ocean so that they might fulfill their dreams of becoming as rich as the royalty they left behind in Europe. And through the work of many brave men, they were able to create America. Okay, puke. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, we really turned it on there. Uh-huh. I mean, but Ooh. look how easy it is to turn it on and make it sound so idyllic and beautiful and now let's without just conflict. Add some fireworks right. and some, like, you know, music <laughs> At Mount that Rushmore. reminds us, right, <laughs> right, of, you know, patriotism. Ugh. And then there we go. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Great. For those <sighs> of you out there listening, um, this, has, read our this has nothing to do with our. <laughs> Supporting the military or like right. people who serve in the military. Right, 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 right. And if you think it does, I want you to go back and rethink <laughs> that why you're thinking that. I think you have another thing coming. <laughs> <laughs> and it's right. not that think. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, it definitely doesn't. 
but it does speak volumes to the the utter nonsense that was said to us that in is school. fed to us and is like very pervasive and it's dangerous. Oh it's yeah, incredibly so dangerous harmful because and it's like it continued also, harm. Oh yeah, because it also harm. it also removes a lot of the time free thought from and critical thinking about what happened. I I think this goes back to like, well, you know, kids are too young to learn those things. And it's like, no, nope. Not if you do it in a way that is evidence-based and that is grade specific that you can like clearly teach kids that what conflict is because they experience conflict and they see it whether it's at home, whether it's on the news, like they can grasp what the process is here and how it was like something was someone's and then it was taken by somebody else. That's, you know, yeah, it, exactly. it's as simple as that. It makes you... me think <clears throat> about like the, the whole excuse. Though. Like, I don't know if kids, you know, like kids are too young to learn this feels very much like, you know, in the world of like intellectual grooming to make yeah. them, you know, hopefully. Subversive. Yeah. Like, think a certain way by a certain age, you know, or Mm -hmm. like now we can make people think this, which, you know, there's only one political party really interested in that. Just going to say that. Mm -hmm. The Green Party. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So trigger warning, we're going to be talking about how white settlers treated indigenous people. Some of the language will be very um, realistic. So let's talk about the reality of what the narrative is. Indigenous people have inhabited and cared for the land that is also called America for over 20,000 years. They have long established heritage and culture directly connected to this land. And when white Europeans started traveling here, their land was stolen from them. And to be clear about the intention behind the stealing of this land, white European settlers wanted the land for themselves and wanted to erase indigenous people from the situation so that they could continue building colonies. This colonization also served as the root cause for racism and capitalism in this land also called America. The relationship between white settlers and the indigenous tribes of the land, also known as America, resulted in forced violent removal, slavery, genocide, and treaty deals. A treaty was when white settlers would promise land in other areas to indigenous tribes. But these treaties were often signed under the shadiest of circumstances. For example, only one signature from one member of the tribe was required to agree to a treaty in many cases. So white settlers would often convince one member of the tribe who wasn't the chief and who wasn't the majority to agree on behalf of an entire tribe. Also, the land that they were granted was most of the time far less fertile. Also, land that was granted through treaties would often then be reduced in size over and over and over again until it was a mere fraction of the land where they had lived before. Let's take a look at indigenous tribes in the land we also call America today. According to the guide Tribal Nations in the United States, published in 2019 by the National Congress of American Indians, there are currently, quote, 574 sovereign tribal nations, variously called tribes, nations, bands, pueblos, communities, and native villages, have a formal nation-to-nation relationship with the U.S. government. There were 334 federally and state-recognized American Indian reservations in 2010. These 574 tribal nations are located across 35 states and within the geographic borders of the United States. However, each tribal nation exercises its own sovereignty. Each of the 574 tribal governments is legally deemed as a federally recognized tribal nation. State 
recognized tribal nations are recognized by the respective state governments, end quote. So let's talk for a moment about recognition, because there is some, we actually have a situation here in New Jersey regarding recognition. I could not find any clear answer as to why some tribes are recognized only by the state, or some are recognized by the federal government. Regardless, these are words that white settlers came up with in our government to, you know, this is this all rec- all of this kind of recognition mm. is from its derivative of this government. But let's chat about what that recognition really means. So there are three recognized tribes in New Jersey, the Ramapo Lenape, the Powhatan Renape, and the Nanticoke Lenni Lenape. Now, the three of them are state-recognized, but not federally recognized. Don't exactly know why, but... I'm wondering if it's a a stepping stone, like you have to be recognized state first, then federally. I don't know, and Mm. I tried to find that out, and I couldn't find the answer. Okay. Back in 2012, the office of then-Governor Chris Christie sent a two-sentence email to the federal government's general accounting office saying incorrectly that the state of New Jersey recognized no Native American tribes. And that is all it took for all of the resources that were available to the people of these tribes to immediately lose access to it. Fun. Super fun. Right. Okay. So these include access to federal grants to improve members' health, education, workforce preparedness, contracts uh, for highly rated tribally owned businesses, and the right to label and sell elders' traditional arts and crafts as American Indian made. These are just some of them. But immediately, all of those things are gone. The Nanticoke Lenny Lenape sued. They had to go to court. It was a very, very long process. They basically had to prove that they had been previously recognized so that what they said was factually incorrect. Right. So here we have another example of a group of indigenous people enduring abuse, and then it falls burden to them to get out of the situation. They have to do all of the work and heavy lifting right. to get out of this abuse. Right. And so they had to go to court many Oppression. times. Uh, yeah, yeah, literally. So they had to go to court many times. They did finally... They settled out of court with the state of New Jersey, who did say, okay, we will recognize you. And then the state paid them $2.4 million. Mm -hmm. Now, they have 3,000 members. If they decided to, you know, split that among their 3,000 members, that means everybody gets 800 bucks. Wow. Which, you know, I know that if I went to school, if I were a member of that, tribe mm-hmm. and I had gone to school from 2000 anywhere between 2012 and 2018 mm-hmm. $800 is not going to do a lot for the tuition no and for, and the access that I would have had to any right government grants to go to school right one of the things that they cited was casino gaming because mm-hmm. that is the thing that a number of Native American tribes do go into business doing. Mm-hmm. All three of the tribes in New Jersey have a pact. They have it published on their websites that say, we are not interested in opening casino gaming here. And they even had to go as far to say to the New Jersey state government that they would support any law that they created to say that the three Native American tribes could never open up casino oh, gaming. Interesting. This is like classic abuser behavior. Mm -hmm. I take something from you, but then you have to be nice to me in order to get it back. Mm. 
the history of America, folks. Uh, seriously. Yeah. So that's something that's going down right here in this land we also call New Jersey. In another trail mix from season two called Without a Trace, we cover the term wilderness and how the creation of this term helped to shape the narrative that there was untouched wild land here in this land also known as America, when in fact there has never been. Indigenous people have been stewards of the land for over 20,000 years, and all of the public land that we are currently protecting was the traditional and stolen lands of indigenous people. This includes the national parks. This is from the article Return the National Parks to Tribes by David Truer, published in The Atlantic. Quote, America's national parks comprise of only a small fraction of the land stolen from Native Americans, but they loom large in the broader story of our dispossession. Even after we were relegated to reservations, the betrayals continued. Beginning in 1887, the Dawes Act, also known as the General Allotment Act, split much of the reservations up into small parcels of land to be granted to individual Indians, while the surplus communal land was opened for white settlement. In blunt terms, Thomas Morgan, the Commissioner of Indian Affairs, said in 1890 that the goal of federal policy at the time was to break up reservations, destroy tribal relations, settle Indians upon their own homesteads, incorporate them into the national life, and deal with them not as nations or tribes or bands, but as individual citizens. This land grab bled at least another 90 million acres away from the tribes, roughly equivalent to the 85 million acres that comprises America's 423 national park sites, end quote. Truer continues saying, quote, after Yellowstone was established and Indians were removed and in some cases excluded from its spaces, the same and worse happened elsewhere. The Blackfeet, living in three bands in northwestern Montana and southern Alberta, had long thought of the Rockies as their spiritual and physical homeland. They wouldn't have dreamt of seating it at a treaty table, but in the 1880s and 90s, they were forced to negotiate with the U.S. government. Weakened by a string of epidemics, seasons of starvation, and insatiable Americans bent on opening up their homelands to timber and mineral extraction, the Blackfeet had to make concession after concession. Some years, they had to give up land just to secure enough resources to last through the next winter. Not long after a harsh winter that killed as many as 600 Blackfeet, the tribe signed away land that would become Glacier National Park. The deal was brokered by George Bird Grinnell, the naturalist founder of the Audubon Society of New York. Grinnell had joined General Armstrong Custer on his expedition of the Black Hills in 1874 in search of gold. The trip was in direct violation of the treaty guaranteeing that the Black Hills would remain in native control. Grinnell was often called a, quote, friend of the Indian, end quote, but he once wrote that the natives have the, quote, mind of a child in the body of an adult, end quote. In 1911, a year after Congress approved the creation of Glacier, Montana ceded jurisdiction of the park to the U.S. government, end quote. And again, this is from the article Return, to the, Na- Return the National Parks to the Tribes by David Truer, published in The Atlantic. Let's talk about the thing we heard the tour guide say. So we recently went to Wind Cave National Park. We did. This was a part of our five-week adventure across the country all the way to Montana. Um, Wind Cave was one of the spaces that we were fortunate enough to be able to stop in while we were in the Dakotas. Yeah. And um, we had purchased tickets for a tour day of. That's the only way that you can do things at Wind Cave. And that's really the only way you can see the cave is by doing those day of tickets. There's plenty of prairie hikes that you can do but really you want to go to see the cave. Um, And we had a really great tour guide, a ranger who led the tour. 
did an awesome job, really explained the, t- the cave itself, gave a lot of great information. And then we got to kind of the end of the tour. <laughs> well, we got to, it was like sort it was of like almost the, the, end. It was the like, middle yeah. section of the tour that was like the, the last spot we were stopping mm-hmm. to like hear some more mm-hmm. about. And um, she said something that really didn't like sit well with either no, of us. No. But it was, I will say this, it was very clearly, this was like a canned line that she has said over and over and over again. Like yeah. it's like part of the script that part she had of to the memorize. Script. Yeah. But she said, the National Park Service is doing a lot to right some of the wrongs of the past, even though that work may never be completed. Yeah, and we were both like, like, wait, what? Dagger to the heart. That's <laughs> wait, hold on. We were like, I'm sorry. Like, this is the attitude we're having yeah. for this. It wasn't great. Like, we're we're gonna say like, yeah, we're gonna try, even though we it may never get done. Like, yeah, okay, great. Now yeah. it's really yeah. gonna get done if that's how we're starting off. <laughs> it's like global warming. Oh my! We're goodness. gonna try real hard. Might not get done. I was like, I, I'm like rewriting stuff for her, yeah. as, like or rewriting stuff for the script mm-hmm. on the way out. I'm I have like, notes. <laughs> I have notes. Like. No, we can yeah, no longer it wasn't say great. that. No. It was real bad. So while returning land to indigenous tribes seems like a clear idea for moving forward, there is no blueprint for how to do this. And in order to create one or even get close to developing a process for this, this is going to take a ton of investment of time, money, and care. And still, when it comes to indigenous affairs, they are most often at the bottom of the docket. Land back is a phrase associated with a movement that is a project by NDN Collective, a nonprofit organization who describes itself as a resource to, quote, equip all indigenous people with the tools needed to become architects of our future, end quote. And their mission is to, quote, build the collective power of indigenous peoples, communities, and nations to exercise our inherent right to self-determination, while fostering a world that is built on a foundation of justice and equity for all people and the planet, end quote. And just like there is no single indigenous narrative or story, there is no singular pathway for indigenous activism. There are many. NDN Collective is a larger organization that has earned support from across the land known as America. However, there are many organizations and communities working towards the same goal of getting land returned to indigenous people. This is from the Land Back Manifesto found on landback.org. Quote, It is the reclamation of everything stolen from the original peoples, land, language, ceremony, medicines, kinship. They continue to say, quote, It is the relationship with Mother Earth that is symbolic and just. Where we have reclaimed stewardship, it is bringing our people with us as we move towards liberation and embodied sovereignty through the organizing, political, and narrative framework. It is a long legacy of warriors and leaders who sacrificed freedom and life. It is a catalyst for current generation organizers and centers the voices of those who represent our future. It is recognizing that our struggle is interconnected with the struggles of all oppressed people. It is a future where Black reparations and Indigenous land back coexist, where BIPOC collective liberation is at the core. It is acknowledging that only when Mother Earth is well can we, her children, be well. It is our belonging to the land because we are the land. End quote. The work done by groups with missions and goals like NDN Collective have certainly brought truth to the depth of the colonization that happened on this land into the conversation more. So much so that we are now starting to see some return of land to indigenous tribes. In June of 2020, the Supreme Court ruled 
that about half of the land, also known as the state of Oklahoma, was promised to the Muscogee Creek Nation. The National Bison Range was officially returned to tribal leadership under the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Tribes, CSKT, of the Flathead Reservation in Montana. And in August of 2020, more than 1,000 acres of land near Big Sur, California, were returned to the Esalen Tribe. And other land transfers back to indigenous tribes have happened through land grants in Maine, New York, Oregon, and other states. This is by no means sweeping action, but this is a start. And we have a long way to go. But the answer, we may never get there, is unacceptable. Therefore, MPS, you've got to rewrite your script. We must get there. It is possible. Many people ask, how can I join this fight? How can I do something? And while, yes, there are certainly things the government must put in place, there is always something you can do. Staying informed, connecting yourself to local indigenous communities, getting involved in the work is always a help. But let's also talk about money. There are so many organizations doing the work to help return land to indigenous people, and your donation is always helpful. Also, there is no reparation tax on the books right now, but you can create your own. Whose traditional land are you currently living on? Make an annual, monthly, or as often as possible donation to the tribe's organization, scholarship funds, educational programming, and food sovereignty programs. Also, if you have access to land or are someone who has lots of land, give it back. It is absolutely possible to give your land back to the indigenous tribe it was originally stolen from. And while there is no governmental process for this yet, it is possible. Contact that tribe directly. The burden of this work should not fall to the indigenous communities of this land. It is our responsibilities, the descendants of white colonizing settlers, who must put in the time and money to ensure that we return what our ancestors wrongfully stole and give back what we continue to profit from. That is our inheritance. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. We're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that reparations are always possible. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. To find out more about parks visited on this show, visit our website, gaze at the National Parks.com. That's gaze, G A Z E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, on our website, and in the gaze shop is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording, this episode that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey.